How many people know their ABCs? ABCs, one, two, threes. Why do we need to know our ABCs? Like it's the alphabet, right? Now I know my ABCs. Won't you come and sing with me, right? Yeah, something like that, except I can't sing, so you can say them with me. But learning, learning the alphabet or learning your ABCs, you know, ABCs or one, two, threes just become, come to be known as something that's, that's a, a basic fact or an, a, an essential fact of a subject. And so when we learn our ABCs in school, it's because it's a building block for language. It's, it's a building block by which you learn how to spell words and, and form syllables and, and speak and, and all those things that go into it. And so without ABCs, it's kind of hard to go on to, to more difficult subject of language. So I called the title of my message today, Do You Know Your ABCs? Understanding Your Position in Christ. So I really want to talk about ABCs and understanding your position in Christ. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And as we read these, uh, these 12 verses, I really want you to, to notice the, the verb tense as I read these verses. Because the, the verb tense is, is a verb tense of a completed fact. It's something that occurred in the past. It's something that's already happened. And, and so that, you know, we talk, um, we talk a lot about uh, our mission here at City Reach, and it's, it's using unlikely people in overlooked places to do extraordinary things. You guys all remember that part? Unlikely people in overlooked places to do extraordinary things. The last part of that is, to lay claim to that for which Jesus has already paid. And so I was really just thinking about that this week. And, and when you lay claim to something, you actually are exercising or professing that I have a legal right to it. I actually own it. It belongs to me. And, and I think what happens a lot of times in our Christian walk is we try to obtain and work for that which Jesus has already paid instead of laying claim and staking claim. This is mine and this is available now. And Jesus has already paid for it and I don't have to obtain it. I just need to stake my claim in it. And we go around and we talk about position in Christ. And, and, and if I think about position... Is position moving or is it, is it more steadfast? If I think about my position, I'm like right now, what am I doing? I'm standing. And so a lot of times we go around, we're spiritually driving around trying to find our position. But guess where it is all along? It's right here. It's something that we already have. And we're looking for the things and we're trying to convince God to give us the things that he's already given us and the things that he's already done. And he says, it's time to stop trying to get what I've already given. And it's time to start receiving what's already available. And so 
I just want to look at these things today. So ABCs, and I have four points today, and they're ABCs. So just like your ABCs, A is adopted, and this is all from 1 Corinthians. And there's there's way more in 1 Corinthians chapter one than just this. So A is adopted, B is blessed, C is chosen, and S is sealed. Adopted, blessed, chosen, and sealed. Father God, I just ask right now in these next few minutes as we open your word, Holy Spirit, speak through your written word, speak through your spoken word. And God, I just pray that you would bring clarity to what is said today and understanding that eyes would be open, hearts would be open, Lord, to have a greater and deeper revelation of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll just read these verses first, and then we're going to go through and look at these. Now, they don't appear in ABC order, okay? So they actually appear in BCA order. So it's going to be blessed first, and then chosen, and then adopted, and then we'll look at sealed, kind of like how that all comes together at the end. There's more. So so Ephesians 1, if you really want to learn about who you are in Christ, your position in Christ... Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians are all about position. It's all about who you are in Christ, what you have available in Christ, and and it's really a lot of doctrine. So my hope today is to make some really difficult terms, maybe make them easy to understand. And then chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians are how to take what Paul taught you about in the first three verses and how to live it out. So the last half of Ephesians is more on uh, living that out. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. And verses 1 through, I'm sorry, 3 through 14, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now remember, I want you to listen to these tenses. Has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence." having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will." that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory." So many 50-cent words. And, and it's, it's not a chapter for the faint of heart, but here's what I want to do. Let's try to take these 50-cent words and let's try, to, let's try to make them nickel words, right? 
not nickel bags, nick, <laughs> nickel words. So we're going we're to try to take something difficult, and we're going to make it easy to understand. Are you guys with me? You guys ready to learn today? All right. ABCs. All right, so the, the first thing we're going to look at is blessed. Remember I told you they don't actually fall in ABC order. Blessed is our B. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who might bless us, who is going to bless us. What's it say? Has. Who has what? Has blessed us. So the fact that God has blessed us means that it's something that already has occurred. It's not something that we're hoping to happen one day. So when somebody says, hey, will you pray that God would bless me? Like, I don't know how to pray that prayer. I really don't, because if you're asking me to pray for God to bless you, that, makes, that lets me know that you don't understand that he actually has already blessed you. So what I can pray is, I can pray that you would start to experience and understand the blessing that's already been provided for you, and that you'd begin to walk in it, but I just can't pray that God would do something that he's already done. That's like me saying, hey, can I pray that Jesus would come die on the cross again? Anybody want to pray that prayer? No, because it says that he died and suffered for sin one time for all time. And so that when Jesus came and paid for all that he paid for, it was a one-time payment. It says that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, has blessed us with a speckling of little dainty blessings. With just a blessing here or there. Well, just a little of this or that. No. It says that he has blessed us with every, with all. What's it say? Every. Every. Do you know I looked up that word in the Greek? Do you know what every means in English? Every. (laughs) It translates as every. And if God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, then what's missing? Like there's nothing missing. That when Jesus went to the cross and did what he did, it says that every spiritual blessing was in that. Everything. That there's nothing missing from what he's already provided. He didn't didn't leave anything out. Now some people say, well, that's every spiritual blessing. So spiritual is actually the word pneumaticos. The same word the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. He says, I'd have you to be not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. It's not really the word gifts in there. It's just spiritual. It's it's spiritual things. And and when, when God provided through Jesus everything, it wasn't just righteousness. It wasn't just holiness. It wasn't just sanctification. But but it's everything in your life. It's restoration. It's, it impacts your finances. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your walk with the Lord. Everything that he has given you, every spiritual blessing. He didn't leave anything out. And so to pray for God to do something or pray to God to bless you, I get it. I prayed it myself. So I, here's what it is. I don't want anybody to feel condemnation today. I'm, here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to shoot a couple sacred cows today. Are we okay with doing that? Because you you might get mad at me because you might currently do some of the things we're going to talk about. And I'm going to tell you this. I've done them all. I've done every religious thing that you could probably imagine. And I did it with the right heart, but I just didn't know. And so I want to really help you today to stop being religious. Stop being like doing things to get God to do something in return because that's not how the new covenant works. It says that he has blessed us. What did we do to deserve all those blessings? Like, I don't deserve it. Right? I, I've never done anything near enough to deserve every one of God's spiritual blessings. Now, as we read, we read a bunch of them in this passage. We're not going to talk about them all today. But, but there's, I mean, it says that we were seated with him in the heavenlies. We were made alive with Christ. Paul goes on in chapter 2 and continues the same thing. So there's, there's so many things that are wrapped up in this. And so, but so often we take the wrong position to where instead of laying claim to what Jesus has already paid for, what do we do? We try to earn the thing that Jesus has already paid for. And God's like, there's no debt here. Like, you don't owe anything. I've already paid for this. It's just available. It's available. He says this. He says, that we're, so where are these, these blessings? It says that he has blessed us with all, every spiritual blessing where? Where's that? So the word places, is it italicized? Yeah. I'll go back. So yeah, it's italicized because it doesn't actually appear in the text. It just says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenlies, is really what it says. It's in heavenlies. And, and the translators added the word places. Well, where's that? Here's what I want you to get today. Paul uses the same word again in chapter 1, verse 20. And he also uses the same word again in chapter 2, verse 6. So he says this. We all know this verse, about 19 and 20. That you would know what it is exceeding power toward us is. The same power that he wrought in Christ when he did what? Raised him from the dead and seated him in heavenly places. Right? It's the same power. So we talk about this all the time. The same power, resurrection power, that God used to bring Jesus from the dead, the same power that he used to bring him from the dead and literally seat him at his right hand in heavenly places. And then in chapter 2, he goes on to say this. He says, you who were dead have now been made alive with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. And you've also been made sit together or seated together, where at? In heavenly places. So the same place that, my, that every spiritual blessing is, is the same place that Christ is seated, and it's the same place that I'm seated in Christ. What's the point? Why did you go through that to tell me that? Your Christian life begins from a place of rest. When you were raised from the dead spiritually, what were you done? You were seated. Jesus is seated at the right hand. 
We are seated with him. We're made to sit together in heavenly places. And so that everything that God has done for you starts from a position of rest. And the way that you access every spiritual blessing is from a position of rest. See, what happens under the Old Covenant, how did you get blessed if you were an Old Covenant saint? Huh? You worked. You had to earn it. Right? So what happened if I was not just obedient, but what? Perfectly obedient. The Bible says that you had to keep all of it. And if I was perfectly obedient, then I would be blessed. And if I was just a little less than perfect, guess what? I'd be cursed. Like, I don't really want to sign up for that. Because I'm, I'm, I can't live that good. But what did Jesus do? It says that Jesus was made a curse for us. Because cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So that when Jesus came and Jesus hung on the cross, he literally became the curse that I deserve. He lived perfect. He became the curse so that the blessing of Abraham could come on the Gentiles through faith that we could receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus took that curse that I deserve so that I could inherit and receive the blessing that he deserves. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to deserve it. I just have to receive it. It's already, it, it, and it comes from this position. So we don't start our Christian life by running and walking. We start our Christian life by, from a position of sitting. And from the position of sitting, that doesn't mean you can be a lazy Christian. I don't believe in that. Oh, I'll just sit here on my rear end the rest of the 50 years and do nothing. No, but because I realize that Jesus has done everything, I'm going to do something for him. I'm going to work from my position of rest. Paul said, I labored more abundantly than you all, so that the grace that was given to me was not given in vain, and that God has graced you to do something, and although you start from rest, you actually work from a position of rest. You don't work in order to obtain. You work because it's already been given. See the difference? He said that, said, now, here's something a lot of times we, we stop at the end of verse 1 and we say this. We say that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. But the first six verses are actually, or the first, verses 3 through 6 are actually one sentence. So it says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Verse 2 says, just as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. So that word just as means to the same degree as, or in proportion to, so that, that God has blessed me, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing to the same degree and in, in according to the same way that he chose us in him before, what? The foundation of the world. When you think about that for a minute, what did you ever do to inherit anything if it was already settled before the foundation of the world? 
It was actually before you ever did anything bad or before you ever did anything good. And when I think about the things that God did before the foundation of the world, that Jesus, it says in Revelation 13, Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain from when? From the foundation of the world. That God, and this is, we're going to talk about this in a minute, God in his foreknowledge knew that Adam would screw up. Knew that man would go down a path that, that, that was horrible. And he still proceeded to create us and send his son 4,000 years later after creation to redeem back everything that man lost. And he, like, if I knew man was going to screw up, I'd have just said, I'll create aliens. Yeah. What? Why bother? Why bother? I'm going to create man. I'm going to give him everything, put him in a perfect environment, give him two options, choose this tree or that tree, that's it. Everything else is yours. And I know he's going to mess up, but I'm still going to get through with it anyway. Like, I'd have just avoided the whole situation. And aren't you glad that I'm not God? Because you wouldn't be here. I'd have said, forget about you. But God's not like that. It says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. See, when you realize that God loved you and God blessed you, and did it before you were even a speckle in your dad's eye? Or your mom, whatever way that goes. Maybe it was your mother's eye, I don't know. A gleam in your father's eye, that's it. Before that, before God even created the world. And you think that he knew every bad thing you'd ever do in your whole life. Every bad thought, every bad place you'd ever frequent, every way you'd ever treat your spouse everything you ever would have addicted to. All, he knew all that. And he still, before the foundation of the world, blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And here's why he did it, because he loves you that much. He loves you. Look at John 17. I don't know if I have that up there or not. Oh, there it is. So John 17, 23 says this. This is Jesus praying to the Father. He says... Uh, I and them and you and me that they may know, be perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me, love them as you love me. So Jesus is saying, I want the world to know that God, that you loved them the same way you loved me. And how did God love Jesus? Look at this. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. God loved Jesus before the foundation of the world, but God also loved you to the same degree. Knowing everything you'd ever do, knowing everything you'd ever go through, and he still loved you, and he still reserved every spiritual blessing for you, despite of all that. And he paid for it. Stop trying to get God to bless you. Start receiving every blessing that he's already paid for and provided. 
Whitney, give me your phone. Thanks. Anybody want to know what Whitney's texting right now? John 17, that's okay. And, it, and it's in red, so Jesus said it. This represents every spiritual blessing. Now, if Whitney's God the Father, and I said, Father, in Jesus' name, bless me. And what's God, like, if God could be confused, which he can, but he'd be like, duh, you already got it. It's in your possession. It's already in your bank account. You just have to access what's in the account and make a withdrawal. See, faith withdraws from the spiritual realm. These things, like the fact that they're spiritual realities means you can't see them. See, a lot of times we, only, we don't want to believe things that we can't see. How many believe there's Wi-Fi in this room right now? Uh, three people. Okay, don't tell me. There's no Wi-Fi. Yeah, there is Wi-Fi. There's Wi-Fi. There's radio signals. There's cell signals going through here. You just can't see them. You can't access them unless you have a mechanism that translates the signal to a reality. And just because you can't see the spiritual reality, faith reaches out and takes hold of and receives the very thing that Jesus has already laid up there for you. See, it would be like Adam being in the Garden of Eden and God said, of all the trees, you can do what? Freely eat. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Adam's like, hey, Eve, put some clothes. No, he didn't say put some clothes on. He said, hey, Eve, come here. Look at that apple. That apple is so beautiful and red and perfect and shiny. Let's pray and ask God if we can eat that. No. What'd they do? God had already said, I provided everything for you. Now just eat freely. But what do we do? Oh, God, give me that apple. I call that apple now to be in Jesus' name. We do all this stupid spiritual calisthenics. You know, maybe there's some physical benefit from all that. You know, you got down, you got up, you, you got to burn a few calories. And God's sitting there like, oh, my gosh, are they still doing this? Are you kidding me? 2,000 years later, and the church is still doing this. I've made it all available. See, what happens is I think, I think too many New Testament believers are still praying Old Testament prayers or, or, or following Old Testament principles. Twenty years ago, I read a book. It's a really good book. It's actually scriptural. I used to pray it all the time, but I didn't realize until ten years later it doesn't apply to me. The prayer of Jabez. Now here's where I'm going to step on some toes. I used to pray it all the time. What was the prayer of Jabez? First Chronicles 
uh, chapter 4, it said, And Jabez prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, bless me indeed. Expand my territory. Keep me from sin. Who keeps us from sin now? The Holy Spirit. Jabez, in the Old Covenant, had a legitimate prayer to pray to be blessed. We, as New Covenant believers, have already been blessed. See the difference? Well, it's in Scripture. I agree it's in Scripture. But so is the Old Testament law. Are you keeping that? No, you can't keep it. What about this one? I, I, I hesitate to even go here. Let me do this first. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Anybody familiar with Deuteronomy 28? I'm not going to read it because it's like 60 verses long, maybe 58. How many? 68, okay. It's a lot. It's too many to read. The first 14 verses deal with the blessings of the Old Covenant. So in the verse, verse 1 starts out like this. If you keep and observe all that I've commanded to you to do, then I will bless you. Then he goes on and tells about all the blessings. Verse 15 starts out and says this. But if you fail to observe all that I've told you to do, all these curses will come upon you. Okay? Now, let, let, I just want to read three of them. There's like a hundred. And I want to read three because I'm going somewhere. Verse 21 says this, the Lord will make the plague. Anybody like the plague? Will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you're going to possess. Verse 24 says this, the Lord will cause the rain of your land to turn to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down until you are destroyed. So I'm going to, I'm going to send the plague I'm going to withhold the rain. And then in verse 38, it says, You will carry much seed to the field, but gather little, for the locust will consume it. All right? I'm going to withhold the rain if you don't obey. I'm going to send the locust, and I'm going to put a bunch of plagues on you that will consume you. Okay? Anybody, anybody want to sign up for that? No. Okay. Now, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Now, I, I tread lightly here because this last year was the verse of the National Day of Prayer. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If you do this, then I will do that. That's an old covenant prayer. And here's where I'm going to step on toes, because I've prayed this. I'm sure everybody here has prayed that. My Bible says that if I pray anything according to his will, he hears me. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And if he hears me, I will have the petition that I asked of him. 
My Bible says, Colossians 2, verse 12, that I have already been forgiven of all sin. Here's what a lot of people don't put together. The verse right before 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is this. What were three of those, those things I said God will send because of sin? I'm going to send a locust. I'm going to send a plague. And I'm going to withhold the rain. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is a continuation of what God was saying in verse 13. He says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain. Now, why would he do that? Because under the old covenant, that was the consequence of not obeying perfectly. When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence, it's the same word plague, among my people. So the context of this verse, one, is the Old Covenant. Two, it's the result of Old Covenant saints not following the law. And it's the judgment of God poured out on them because of breaking the law. Then he says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and then I will forgive their sin." got really quiet. I want to shoot that cow today. See, we hold on to things that we've been taught without actually doing the, the study to understand what was applicable under one covenant is not necessarily applicable under another. Jesus said this in Hebrews chapter 8. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with Israel in those days. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No one shall teach his neighbor, and no one shall teach his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me because of the Holy Spirit. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. In that he said a new covenant, he is making the old one obsolete. And that which has become obsolete is now passing away. That was written 2,000 years ago. And for some reason, we as a church, not City Reach, but the body of Christ is still stuck in an old covenant mentality of earning what Jesus has already paid for instead of laying claim to the very thing that he's already completed. Why do we do that? That's what's called rightly dividing the word of truth. Blessed. Chosen. Anybody study theology ever? You ever hear of the frozen chosen? We're not them. 
just as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, whereat? Before him in love. So what you have to understand, before I talk about that God chose you, let me, let me, let me throw it out this way. First of all, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 2 tells us this. The word God chose us is a verb. The word elect, eklektos in the Greek, is the noun. And 1 Peter 1, 2 said this, that we are elect, how? According to, is it up there? The foreknowledge of God the Father. So that the fact that we are elect and the fact that God chose us worked in conjunction with his foreknowledge. I want to talk about that in a minute. Let's just say, let me say here. So this morning when we said, hey, we need volunteers for media, how many hands went up? None, right? Let's call a spade a spade. I can get a single hand. What if, do you remember, what if I said, I have a $100 bill, and by a show of hands, who wants this $100 bill? Right now, who, show of hands. All right, keep them up. Oh, darn, I don't have a $100 bill. So if I had a $100 bill and I went around and I saw Dawn's hand up and I pick Dawn and I choose Dawn, what happened to the rest of you all? You got unchosen. The fact that I chose Dawn meant that I didn't choose you. And so there's a theology that we don't agree with that said that God only chose certain people to be saved. And if he only chose this group to be saved, by default he chose everybody else to be not saved. That doesn't line up with scripture because my Bible said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That, that God so loved the whole world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish perish, but have everlasting life. I don't want to go in a bunch of theology. I don't want to go there. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. But, okay. So that, if I chose Don, what if I said, look, I'm taking a trip to the Bahamas. Anybody that wants to go can go. There's no charge. It's completely free. First class airfare. We're going to stay at the Ritz-Carlton. Everything is paid for. All you got to do is show up Give me a rate. How many want to go? All right. Okay, not everybody. Now you, it's the same people that don't know their ABCs don't want to go. <laughs> so this is like that. So we are elect. It means that God chose us based on his foreknowledge. Okay. Two weeks ago, my wife and I went up on Lover's Leap. No love going on, but... I'm scared of heights. But we're up on Lover's Leap, and I looked, it's like 600 and some feet in the air, and I'm looking over a rock, and I see down in the valley, uh, down below us, down, down where Wills Creek is, and then there's a, the train track. And I see the train, and I can see all, every single car of that train. I see the caboose all the way to the engine, and I can see the whole thing. That's how God, who lives outside of time, sees time. See, God can literally see the caboose and the engine all at one time. 
Because of his perspective is an eternal perspective, and he's outside of time. Me, on the other hand, if I'm on the ground, what do I see? There's the coal car. There's the coal car. Oh, and another coal car. It's like when you're sitting down on, on uh, Queen City Drive trying to get across the tracks. Is this thing ever going to end? And, oh, here comes the caboose. So we see things passing like this one at a time. And that's how we see time. One year, two years, three years, four years. God sees eternity. He sees the caboose, eternity past, the engine, eternity future, all at one time. So God, in his foreknowledge, right? God knows everything. He's omniscient. God, in his foreknowledge, since he can see the future the same way he sees the past, knew who would say, I want to go to the Bahamas. He looked ahead into time, knew who would want to go on their own. The rest of you go to hell. That didn't, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but th this is like salvation. He made the payment. It's all free. Everything's done. First class all the way. Who wants to go? I want to go. And he looked ahead and said, I know you're going to choose me in 2022. Therefore, in negative 1 billion BC, I choose you. God chose you in eternity past because he knew that Fred Timbrook would choose him in August 1977 in a car with his mother. And he said, because you chose me of your free will, I'm going to beat you to it. I choose you first. That's the foreknowledge of God. And he said that he chose us not chose some to be saved and chose others not to be saved. It says that he chose us, selected us in him that we should what? Be holy and blameless before him. See, a lot of times we read this and say, oh, okay, God chose me. Now I have to be holy. Now I have to be blameless. Well, no, nobody here can be blameless. You can't be it. Go to the next slide. This word that we should be, that word be is not a verb of action. It's a verb of existence. It means to exist. It doesn't mean to do. And so should we do holy things? Absolutely. Should we do live a holy life? Absolutely. But he chose us in him to exist holy, and to exist blameless. That's who you are. You've already been made that. Look at this word holy. If I say holy, what part of the Trinity do you think about? The Holy Spirit. Holy means sacred, consecrated. It means a saint. When Paul first opened up the book of Ephesians, he says, to the faithful and saints who are at Ephesus. Saints aren't some people on the colored windows of the Catholic Church. Well, they were, but that's not the only saints. You're saints. If you've been made holy, you're a saint. Saint means holy. It means set apart. It's the same word to describe the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. He said you're also... You, you be holy. This is bad English. You be holy. 
you be blameless. Dana, you be holy. Doug, you be blameless. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you who you are. Blameless. Who's this remind you of? Unblameable or faultless. It's the same word to describe a sacrifice without spot or blemish. Who does that remind you of? Jesus, the Lamb of God without spot or without blemish. You exist, you be holy, just like the Holy Spirit. You be blameless, just like the perfect Lamb of God. Where at? Before whom? In the presence of whom? God. See, God sees you through the eyes and lens of Jesus. That you stand and you exist holy and you exist blameless before him. You're like, well, God's a judge. Okay, God's a judge. Anybody ever stood before a judge before? Yeah, were you blamable? Probably. I can stand before the holy, most righteous judge in the entire universe, God himself, And I can stand there blameless. He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my screw-ups. He doesn't see what I stole, what I did, who I screwed over. I didn't say that, sorry. Whatever I did. He sees me without blame. He sees you without blame. I got lots of blame. You could, I could, I've been guilty enough before man, but before God. See, we are so quick. Aren't we quick to lay blame on people? Oh, I don't want to go there. Oh, we're good at calling it out and everybody else. She's nothing but a hooker. He's nothing but a thief. I saw, I saw with my own eyes what she did. Why were you there? What were you doing? Aren't you glad? That when Samuel went to anoint David, oh, this must be the Lord's anointed. God says, no, don't look on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward, says, but God looks on the heart. And I'm so thankful God sees me for who I am on the inside. And we need to get to a place where we see people for who God has recreated them to be. And if they're unsaved, see them as a person for whom God has a plan and can recreate 
and what they will be like once they accept him. Don't see them from what they're sitting in or living in or doing. They know what they're doing. You know what you're doing. But God says in eternity past, before the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain. And even though I knew in advance that you do all this bad stuff, I also knew that one day that you would say yes to me. And since you said yes to me, I'm saying yes to you in eternity past. And even though you continue to maybe struggle with stuff, I've already said yes to you, and I've already selected you, and I've already chosen you. And Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. I got you. I got you, Jesus says. Adopted. Here's another big predestined. Another Calvinism word. I'm not knocking Calvinist. but God doesn't... So predestined. So we think of the word destiny, right? Something that's going to happen in the future. This word predestined means that God destined it to happen in the past. God doesn't destine some people for heaven and other people for hell. He says whoever will. So it says that just as he chose us in him to be holy and blameless before him in love, having predestined us to what? Adoption as sons. See, predestination operates the same way as election. Both hinge on the foreknowledge of God. Paul said this in Romans 8. It says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, some of you are going through that now. And other yous are living such a way that that's not going to happen until the day you die and you get your new body. I want to see more of it happening now. He says that those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he predestined, he justified. And those he justified, he sanctified. And those, or was it sanctified and justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All in the past tense. Those are things that are already completed facts. So the fact that God, it says that he, for, he, he preordained us to the adoption. That you've been adopted. See, in one sense, you've been born, right? You're a new creation. You've been born again. In another sense, you've also been adopted into the family of God. And see, when Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison, adoption was different then than it might be today. Because when you got adopted as a Roman boy, and it's important, and I don't mean to, you know, I'm not politically correct. I'm not making this gender neutral by any means, because it wasn't. That the adoption had to pertain to sons, because a father had to continue his lineage, and that happened through the son. So that even if he didn't have a son by birth, if he would adopt in a son, that son became literally and legally just like that was his kid, no matter 
what happened. Even if he had kids after that, it didn't take away from anything that child had that was adopted. Even Nero, you guys heard of Nero? Nero was adopted at 13 years old by Caesar. I don't remember which one, but Nero became another Caesar that, that, that led Rome. He was actually adopted at 13, but became the emperor of, of Rome at that time. That's what a big deal was. Look at this. I just want to show you these things. Four main effects of Roman adoption. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family. Anybody glad that you're not responsible for your past life? All those, that's all gone. Your family that you used to belong to, the devil, gone. It says his old family, and he gained all the rights of a legitimate son in the new one. You're now, you've been adopted into God's family. And when you're adopted, you legally now have a right to everything that the father has. Number two, he became a legal heir to his father's estate. In law, his old life was completely wiped out. They would even adopt adults. So that even if you had debt from your old life, if you got adopted to a new family, the debt was wiped out. Does this sound familiar? That when you're adopted into God's family, that debt is completely wiped out. And finally, in the eyes of the law, he was absolutely the son. Like, didn't matter. It didn't matter that if that dad had another son or ten more sons, your rights didn't change. How many sons does God have? Now, ladies, I'm sorry, you're a son. You can be a, if you want to be a daughter, but we're all sons. The fact that we're God's children makes us heirs of what he has. And since Jesus is the Son of God, we become, that's what's called, a joint heir. That everything that Jesus had and everything the Father has is available to us. We'll close with these verses from Romans. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit, this is how we can say Abba, Daddy, Papa, that we can relate to God Almighty in a closer way than we'd ever even relate to our own physical father. He goes on to say in the next verse, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, that we all most so may be glorified together. Uh, Whitney, come on up. Everything that Jesus has. You know, Jesus, what did he say in John 16? He says, the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and declare it unto you. Then the next verse he goes on to say, all things that the Father has are mine. That's why I said, he will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. Every blessing, everything God thought of in this massive plan of salvation in eternity past, not just your forgiveness of sins, but also your deliverance, also your healing, also your provision, all those things, every spiritual blessing. And the last one that I didn't get to was this. 
it says that you're sealed. You're sealed. That when God created the new you and your born-again spirit became holy and righteous according to the same way God is, that he took his Holy Spirit and literally not only put his stamp on you and said, that's mine. See, this was a picture in, in, in Ephesus, this main channel of, of shipping. And they would put co- contents in a container and they'd put a seal on it and stamp it and say, this belongs to Fred. And so when it got to where it was going, it showed ownership. But it also shows security. And it says that God not only stamps us, but he seals us. And it's just like a jar that if you do any baking, that that jar, when it's sealed, it preserves what's on the inside. And it keeps the good in and it keeps the bad out. And that's what the sealing of the Holy Spirit does. And so that you, that's how you can stand before God always holy and always blameless because the Holy Spirit seals it in. You might be acting a certain way out here, but in here it doesn't change. And before God, it doesn't change. Paul goes on to say that he is the guarantee. That word is actually deposit, just like when you buy a car. The guarantee, you put a deposit down that you're going to come back and pick up the rest. And that's what he's placed in you. He's placed the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, says, until the redemption of the purchased possession, which means until he comes back and completes that purchase and takes you to be with him. That's when salvation's complete. See, it's all paid for, but the redemption hasn't all taken place because my body still falling apart. I pulled up carpet yesterday, and let me tell you, my body's falling apart. And someday my redemption will be complete. But I'm going to get down fighting. I'm going to get down walking in healing. I'm going to get down walking in divine health. I'm going to get down walking in divine deliverance because all those things have already been provided.